So, this is David, and tonight I've got James with me at the moment, and we may have a run-in by Tom later on. James, why don't you say hello to the fine people? Hello! Yeah, Tom Tom may do a drive-by. Alright, so tonight is August 9th, we are 128 days away from Rogue One, and hey James, guess what comes out in two days, which is August 11th? Uh, is it a Rogue One T new trailer? Yes, that I'm going to be out of the country for. Go me! Ugh. Why? Uh, some work stuff, so I'm gonna be away and not able to view it in real time, which is heartbreaking to me. I'm just hoping that my Wi-Fi is good enough so that as soon as Disney puts it up on the Star Wars YouTube channel, I'll be able to watch it there. I mean, hopefully that'll work. Um, did you see the teaser of the teaser? I did. I liked it. Well, here's the thing. That was actually not new at all for me because uh, I'm pretty sure you're not watching the Star Wars show, right? I've caught it a couple times. I just haven't been able to watch it uh, religiously. You know what? I'll say this much. The Star Wars show, everything except the primary interview that they do, the interviews for me are sort of hit and miss. Um... Because they're interviewing people that are related to Star Wars most of the time, as opposed to, like, Star Wars actors themselves. And that, for me, it's kind of like, sometimes it's fine, sometimes it's kind of neat and interesting. Like, this last week's episode was Weird Al Yankovic, which is kind of cool. Because, you know, you've got, uh, what was it, Bye Bye This Year Anakin Guy song and Yoda. So, you know, he talked a little bit about both of those, but... You know, the real meat was is that they actually kind of dived into some of the Ewing stuff, which was super cool. It is super cool. Yeah, did you did you catch any of that at all? I caught bits and pieces of it. It's been a it was a hectic week last week. Goodness gracious. But yeah, uh so the Ewing, uh apparently like I guess we're all just bad Star Wars fans. Like, people should have known it was a troop transport because, yeah, they they pulled together this old photo that they had released back when Rogue One was first announced as part of its concept art. And the U-Wings right there with, like, a boatload of, like, rebel commandos in it that are streaming out of the thing. And there were, like, four or five of them. Nice. Yeah, and I mean, like, that's that's certainly not what's going to happen in Rogue One, it looks like. But still awesome visual if if you haven't seen it yet i highly recommend go check out the star wars show from goodness it would have been uh wednesday august 3rd and just you know go check it out because it's really a you know that front half of the show some really cool information and some really cool chatter about the ewing along with what I've got to say is really this cool, like, display thing that they do. So the U-Wing has has swinging wings, which is super weird, but also super cool. Because it's, it's, I, I don't know why most of the Rebel ships have, like, movable parts and wings. But it's just super cool that they do. <laughs> and, it, and it seems to be, like, a common thing. Because you think about it, like, the Y-Wing... The Y-Wing has a turret, the A-Wing's, like, little gun ports move up and down and the like. The X-Wing's have, you know, the X in their wing that opens and closes. And now you've got the U-Wing, which has kind of, like, the swivel again. Yeah, they, they just like the swivel. The 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 Rebel Alliance likes to have uh, turrets. And not necessarily just, like, a turret turret, but, like, pieces of the ship move that do different things. Are you trying to say turret? So a turret. Wow. It, it's kind of weird we say that word so differently. But yeah, you know, maybe, maybe, who knows, is this part of a grander idea that uh, the rebel ships more or less have a, 
an adaptability to them that the Stark Imperials lack. Well, it's because they have, you know, class and the Stark Imperials have class. They don't need no fancy fin-dangled gadgets. They will just destroy you with overwhelming firepower. You know, maybe that is actually a thought where maybe the Imperials, since they do have the capability to mass produce things, maybe their whole thing is that they don't need to be adaptable because if they needed a specific tool, they can just make that specific tool as opposed to needing one thing to do everything. It's, Does that make sense? Yeah, it's kind of like World War II. You know, we built mass produced the Sherman tank and made it available everywhere. And the Germans hand tooled every Tiger tank and each Tiger tank had its own idiosyncrasies and slightly different um little nuances while we just kept mass producing Shermans, you know, there was nothing different about one Sherman to the other. Maybe the engine ran a little bit better or something. Wow. I, I, I bet you didn't know that. No, I did not. I thought, I thought that they were stamped out like, you know, <laughs> I don't even know what they were stamped out like cookies. So they're almost all the same. They should have been, but they were all hand put together and handmade, like hand welded, hand cut. So each tank was slightly different. For the Nazis, specifically the Panther and Tiger lines. Mm -hmm. So they never could get enough of them. You know, like, if, whereas you could mass produce a Sherman, for forgetting all of the other problems Germany had, they had no resources or whatever. They couldn't mass produce them because each one was done by hand and, ed and everything else. Whereas we just, all right, conveyor belt. Yeah, just stamping them all out. Actually, going going back to the actual Star Wars topics as opposed to going back to World War II. Um... You know, I've I've got a quick question for you, and that is, with the Ewing, did you have any thoughts on why we never see the Ewing again in any of the later movies? Well, I mean, I think the simplest reason is we don't really see rebel troop assaults, right? So you don't see that in Yavin. All you see is fighters going out to fight the Death Star. On Hoth, they have to escape. They're getting in spaceships and flying away. They're not actually doing an assault. And on Endor, they had to sneak in with an Imperial shuttle. So do you want to know what makes me super happy? You got the right answer on your first try. Uh, because they actually explain. Uh, so there are two reasons why why you don't see the Ewings going forward, according to, to one of the guys that was working on it. Okay. Uh, so reason one, you hit it on the head. This is, this is an assault ship, like an assault transport. Not gonna do a whole lot of good anywhere <laughs> in the trilogy of the movies. Like, it's, you know, it, it, for the exact reasons you mentioned. Death Star, that was a fighter thing. You can't send up a troop transport. It's just gonna die. Has no chance. Granted, the fighters that went up against the Death Star didn't have an exactly great survival rate either. But still. Then you've got the... You know, the Battle of Hoth. Yeah, that was an escape. You never see a pitched ground battle where the Alliance High Command is sending in ground troops. And then, as you mentioned, in Return of the Jedi, when they finally do send in a ground troop strike team, they are using a stolen shuttle as opposed to something like a U-Wing. So, again, makes sense that it's not there. Well, apparently my common sense and somebody at Star Wars' common sense aligned. Here's the part where I have a feeling you and I might get into a bit of an... A discussion. I really wish Tom was here because this is something that's been no noodling around my brain for the entire week that I've kind of wanted to talk to him about. And that is the idea that the Rebel Alliance in this new... And so to kind of rewind, with the reboot of canon, the Imperials and the Alliance are not who we thought they were in many ways. 
I think one of the biggest things is that the Empire is not as misogynistic as it used to be. Yeah, I could- and, they definitely are not. And on the other hand, the Rebels are way more fractured than they used to be. Nah, and, the Rebels aren't fractured, what are you talking about? Yeah, so- so one of the things that they specifically mention is specifically the idea that not every rebel group has access to something like a U-Wing. That makes sense. Just because that it exists in one area doesn't mean it's going to exist in every area. It's also the explanation that they actually give for the A-Wings and why the A-Wings aren't seen at the Death Star. Because the A-Wings canonically are involved in rebel strike activities directly connected to Bail Organa. And Jimmy Smits, who isn't going to be in Rogue One, which is awesome. But yeah, so Bail Organa's rebel cell is running A-Wings before the Battle of Yavin. I get it. I, I would just think that your headquarters would have the, the newest stuff, even if it's fractured. Well, I think that's the thing. There isn't really a headquarters anymore because the idea of Alliance High Command... I'm, I'm still up in the air on what I think about what's going on at Endor... Um, whether or not, you know, that fleet that's assembled is everyone that the Alliance could get their hands on or not. Because because of the number of simply rebel cells out there. So you've got, I, I don't know what happens to them, but you have Chamsandula, who looks like he's going up against Grand Admiral Thrawn on, on Ryloth. So good luck to him. Uh, then you've got, dang it, I am blanking on the name, but the events of Battlefront Twilight Company basically have them not participate in a major offensive because they elect instead to stay on Sullus. Granted, it was a strike against Kuat, but still. I mean, it was specifically a strike against Kuat done by that group. Yeah, but then for me, the other thing I'm thinking of is, did they ever make it off planet in time for Endor? Because the simple fact is that that was taking place post-Hoth. True. Because you had him in the firefight in Hoth. Yes, and meeting meeting so, Mr. Solo. Oh, I, oh yeah, that's right. He did meet Solo there. I mean, he's never he's never called Solo, but we know it's Solo. Yeah, yeah, it had to be. But yeah, so that's you know one of the ideas is that you know the idea that the rebel equipment procedure and tactics are not the same from piece to piece to piece. And I think you're going to see a lot more of that in Rogue One with Saul Guerrero. I could see that, and it makes sense. You know, local commands will have slightly different stuff, but there still has to be, I don't care what they say, there still has to be a base. There is still a, a hierarchy, and maybe it's hard for them to get everyone on the same page, but there's still one person, not one person, but one unified command someplace. It's even implied in Battlefront Twilight Company. Yeah, that there is a command, but they don't have access to it. <laughs> Because it basically, like, that link to that command dies off, and then they're kind of loose. Well, then, they, then they're then they no longer rebels, they're privateers. And they're still rebels. They have, they have letters of marquee, and they're attacking ships at will. You know, I guess that's another question. You know, what, what constitutes being a rebel in the Star Wars galaxy? Do, is it something that you can self-declare? Or is it something that, you know, the rebels need to bring you into it? Because in the old version, in the old like, way that we used to understand it, it seemed very much like being a rebel meant that you were essentially recruited and brought into this greater alliance. Now it's seeing like something people are way more comfortable self-electing to be a rebel. I think Jin Erso said it best, you, you rebel and that makes you a rebel. Yeah, and I think that that's one thing that, you know, I don't know how much they're taking from, like, modern asymmetrical warfare, but maybe... 
some of what we're seeing now is a reflection of the modern understanding of, you know, an asymmetric fight where it is very much cell based. And you definitely saw the cell system structure with Twilight Company because Twilight Company, despite being an entire company of troops, was essentially one giant freaking cell. And they were completely cut off in a lot of ways from the rest of the rebellion, with a couple of exceptions. Yep, that's definitely, they definitely are making it look a lot more like asymmetric warfare for sure. Um, Which makes sense because, but then that also changes the the idea and the understanding of what of what was happening in in Star Wars. Because in the old one, like, you still had the idea of it's a war, so it's nations battling each other. You know, it just happens to be, you know, this side is the, this side is the Great Galactic Empire. This side is the upstart country, more or less. You know, the rebels controlled territory. They controlled areas. They had supply chains. And, and that was a lot of the stuff in the EU that you kind of could wrap your head around. You know, they had, they had a strong hierarchy and a sense of command. Whereas... In this new one, it seems very much like the Empire has crushed the majority of organized resistance. And so it's things like uh, Ahsoka's fulcrum cell that popped up. Uh, whatever Mon Mothma's doing. I'm still a little bit surprised I haven't seen more of Mon Mothma and the Rebels. Well, I mean, they also, they may have crushed organized resistance a bit, but then they also didn't crush it, you know. They, they talk about a whole huge undertaking where the rebels pushed into the mid rim and battlefront that's true you know it was a whole huge they were like we pushed into the mid rim like there's we're taking planets and then nope nope now we're going backwards so yeah i think that definitely are doing more with the asymmetric warfare mainly because i mean if you look at what was written before and what's being written now we as a society live in a different time so of course we're going to get some more asymmetric warfare that's what we know as a society right now you know? Yeah, I think I think it, we're more aware of it, which in some ways means that the authors are more aware of it. So that means that they can now bring it into the stories. Exactly. Back when the first stories were coming out, what, what do we hear about? The big bad Soviets versus the U.S. So of course it's going to be nation states as, it par as opposed to cells. You know, I think it's just a sign of the times we live in, which is fine. I like I like change as long as it's good change. I don't know. So, so how do you feel about the idea of a more split up rebel alliance? Are you like for that or against that? I'm indifferent, but leaning mildly against only because the original movies don't really show that. Right. So they're filling in all the gaps with all this stuff that's now showing that was not as unified. But what the movies show is the rebel base. The High Command, uh, secret rebel base that we can destroy the whole rebellion if we kill Hoth, and or just like the rebel fleet massing, like where'd they come from? Who knows? Well, I, I have a quick question for you on the rebel fleet massing. Like, they came from Sullust in the old EU. Do you know if that's still the case? Don't know. Okay, because that, that would potentially be kind of like where you could bring Battlefront uh, Twilight Company back in. They absolutely did come from Sullust because that is canon because... Somebody tells Paul Patine the rebel fleet is massing near Sullust. Gotcha. In return. Yeah, see, I remember that. I don't remember if it was in the movie or in, like, another EU novelization Nope, thing. definitely in the movie. Okay, awesome. Hey, go battle, uh, go Twilight Company. Yeah, they, they were right near Sullust. I'm sure they got involved. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that they got picked up. 
Hell, who, who knows what that got involved in. But okay, so for me, th there's one issue I have with, with your assumption there. And that's really that the idea of the rebels not being a, you know, not being a, a strong unifier or unified front is that the... The rebellion, in order to take down the empire, wouldn't have needed to be like a much larger organization. And you only saw like very small bits of it. So, you know, if you think about it, okay, so did the rebels send every single fighter that they had at their home base at the Death Star? And if you assume that the entirety of the rebellion's fighting force was those like, I don't even remember how many ships there were, but there were less than two squadrons worth. Yeah, it was about two squadrons. Um... I don't think I don't assume that that was all the ships that they had that may have been all the ships that they had at that base. And if that's the main rebel base again, then there's the idea that there's more out there. And if there's the idea that there's more out there, then why aren't they freaking there? Well, I was I always understood that there was always more out there. Right. But I feel like the, the concept of cells is like a lack of unified command, whereas having the idea that there was more out there, that there was still some sort of unified command. Like, those more guys out there were told to stay away because we don't want to draw attention to the Yav and, and shit, they're too far away now that the Death Star's here. You know, maybe maybe that does make sense because if you think about it, you know, who, who else wasn't there that we know is going to be involved at a very high level within the Rebellion? And that's Mon Mothma. Mon Mothma is not at Yavin base. Not even at Yavin base for the award ceremony, mind you. Nope, neither is Akbar. Well, actually, yeah, I guess we don't know the status of Akbar right now because they've completely changed what his backstory was. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think. I'm sure, well, un unless he was a personal aide, a personal slave pilot for Tarkin. You know, which seems very unlikely because he was a general on Moncala, but we'll yeah. see. Or what is it now? Because didn't they change the name of Mon of Mon Calamari? I want to say it's DAC now, D-A-C. It used to be DAC. In the old hmm. EU, they trans it was kind of like interchangeable between DAC or Mon Calamari. I think I think it's now Moncala. Mon but I'm not positive on that. I need to rewatch some Clone War episodes to uh to confirm that. All this talk about calamari, I mean the Italian in me is getting hungry. You you like -y some squid, sir? Like eating squiddy. <laughs> it is according to Wikipedia, the canon section. Moncala can also be known as Mon Calamari or Dak. <laughs> so, so it's just like, uh, we're just going to include everybody. Apparently. Let me see. Where were we? What were we just talking about? We were just talking about whether or not we think that the alliance is more fractured. All right. So, so one idea is the fact that, you know, multiple resources, not all being in the same spot at the same time. My other is in the number of major leaders that we have who look to be going about things rather dramatically differently. Okay. And, and so we've got Saw Guerrera. He's, he's basically doing his own thing with his own cell. We've got Bail Organa in conjunction with Ahsoka Tano, uh, who, spoilers, aka is Fulcrum. And then we've also got, you know, whatever Mon Mothma's group is doing, which seems independent of whatever Bail Organa is doing. That's a, that's a lot of different things going on. Yeah, Bale is specifically supporting, or appears to specifically be supporting Ahsoka Tano's efforts uh, to the point where he he basically smuggles them three cruisers in an episode where we get to see teenage Princess Leia like try to draw rank on on a number of stormtroopers with predictably wonderful results. Do they try to light her up? 
Uh, no, no. She gets them basically all fined for, uh, all, she has them all afraid for their jobs because of their incompetence, because she was an Imperial Senator and her three ships were stolen out from under their noses. Damn it. Why, why do they do that? To, to what? What was wrong with that? Ah, they, they need to be nicer to the Imperial. Stormtroopers aren't all stupid. I don't know about that. The clone troopers certainly weren't stupid. Um, the stormtroopers, I don't know, I'm trying to think. They're not almost used as comedic relief at some points in Rebels, but True. there's also a level of sympathy that I have for them because they are so clearly outmatched by some of these force users. Seriously. What, that they're outmatched by the force users? I mean, that that's like a, a slight understatement. They get utterly I don't wrecked. know that it's I don't know that it's a slight understatement because outside of like the season two trailer with Ezra, we don't really see a Jedi go ham on stormtroopers that way. Like most of the time when Kanan's doing it, he's either mostly defending himself or he's doing it in conjunction with like Captain Rex or something like that, who's just straight up fucking murdering people. I mean in the comics, Luke seems to be holding his own quite easily against uh against uh whatchamacallit against stormtroopers so yeah you know i i think the other big piece with the rebels for me is as we were talking about is that we have multiple leaders who are doing really multiple things and we were talking about just to get me back on track specifically leia and the way that they use stormtroopers like yeah they're used as comedic relief but i i get the feeling that that's going to be less and less kind of going forward and the reason why I say that is because in see at the end of season one, they kill off the prime comedic relief. The the comedic relief is straight up murdered on screen by Imperials. <laughs> and it's kinda like it was a very oh, this is a kid show, man. Oh, that will end their day real quick. Yeah, and it was it was Tarkin who ordered it, and the Inquisitor who carried it out. Well, Tarkin's always been a stand up guy. <laughs> you and your fanboyisms. Ah, you didn't do anything that wrong. <sighs> I don't know about that. But what I do know for sure is that something that's going to be really interesting kind of going forward is what winds up happening with a lot of these different rebel cells. Because I don't know, I get the feeling that I get the feeling that in Rogue One, things are gonna come to a head between Saw and maybe some of the other rebels. I think Saw is gonna die. Wouldn't surprise me. I think I'd actually be more surprised if Saul survived. I could buy that. Yeah. Basically what I just said. No, that's exactly what you just said, because we are of one mind on this. We are the one mind. Yeah, so I think, what was I going to say about Saw and some of the other rebels? I don't know. What were you going to say? I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on, on this kind of... Oh, I know what I was going to ask. I was going to ask about your thoughts about Garmbel Iblis, because really thinking about it, Garmbel Iblis is the only other character that I know that kind of went down that path. I mean, I like Garm Belliblis. I liked his I liked the concept that the rebels were all unified except for that one guy and his people. So if Saw Guerrero is that one guy and his people are those that that that's fine. But if there's a lot of people who are just like, nope, nope, we're gonna do it this way, I'm not as much of a fan. Why so you you think everyone needs to be under one umbrella? If you want to believe that the Empire gets destroyed by this ragtag rebel alliance they kind of need to be under one umbrella. They can't be a bunch of rebels just no doing things their own way, taking down the Empire. What if they're the largest group of rebels? And the one that the rest kind of, like, takes some of their beats from? But, so so I guess, you know, he, here's the thing. 
in a situation where you have these rebel groups, they're going to all have different, you know, methods of engagement and different levels of violence against the civilian population that they're willing to do. You know, it seems like Saul Guerrero's capacity for that is actually rather high, whereas Mon Mothma's, especially from the stuff that we read in, like, Bloodline, is way low. Even in Aftermath Life Debt, it's just like, how how did you lead a rebellion with this attitude? Can't, 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 no innocent civilians, can't, can't kill people, no bloodshed. Yeah, and it's just like, you know, so so think about that for the moment. Okay, so assume that Mon Mothma, like, stays more or less consistent and wants things to be done as cleanly as possible. How in God's name does that form into a unified alliance? It can't, because her, in in, in many ways, her... I don't know. Like it, it's it's a weird thing because in Bloodlines she calls Leia the idealist, whereas she's the realist, and it's it that just doesn't jive with what I saw out there, like in the book. Like Leia is the realist. Leia is the one confronting the problems. Like yes, she has her own ideals that she will sometimes stick to, but she's she's aware of the problem and actively deals with the problem, as opposed to, I don't know, like. I have a hard time classifying Mon Mothma as a realist, but she's also certainly not an idealist, it seems like. She is playing both sides. So she's a politician. Yep. She is part of the problem that Palpatine, in theory, was trying to fix. The inaction, the the playing both sides, she is part of the political problem. On the good side of it, unlike Palpatine, who was obviously on the bad side of the political problem, but... Man, I don't know if I'm if I'm with you there. I I think that you're going too far with that. I I don't think that she's part of a problem that Palpatine was trying to solve because I don't feel like Palpatine was trying to solve a problem. Palpatine wasn't Palpatine wasn't trying to make a better galaxy, man. I mean, from a certain point of view, he was. No. No, he wasn't. Definitely true from a certain point of view. Uh, his personally, and that's it. Vader's, the Imperials. No, not even the Imperials. Like, here, you know what? You need to go listen to the Star Wars after show to hear about some of the shit that Sheev was pulling. Oh, I, I, Sheev was a dirty, dirty man. No, 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 no. No, Sheev was trying to alter reality. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> Whatever you say. It depends on uh, what the altering reality is for. Unlimited power. Outstanding. And see, that's that for me is also one of the issues I have trying to understand the Emperor. Like, I don't get power as the goal. Like, what's the power there for? W- what are you trying to do with it? You know, what's what's step two? You, you just want to have it, so in case you need it. And if you need it, then you have it. It's very circular. I'll say. Y- you need it in case you need it. And you have to have it to have it. I'm trying to think of who makes less sense, you or Yoda. Hmm? Yoda, you know, is right. In making less sense. Mm, I'm still not convinced. Nope, nope, nope. Definitely Yoda. All right. Well, <clears throat> moving on from my esoteric discussion on that front, I guess you know. Did you? It feels like Force Friday just happened, but it's coming up again. <laughs> what are we getting this Force Friday? Uh, there's apparently like a bunch of toys for Rogue One, like less less than what they had originally done for the Force Awakens. But there's still a couple of kind of interesting things in here that you might be somewhat interested in. So the first is we have another planet name out. Jeddah? 
No, we knew Jetta. Okay, next. We knew, we, we knew Jetta a while ago because of, uh, that was in the Entertainment Weekly piece, I believe. That's right. Yep, you're right. Yeah. What we didn't know before was Iadu, E-A-D-U, because that's apparently the planet that Cassian Andor gets introduced on. Okay. Interesting name for a planet. Yeah, so I think for me, that's going to be pretty interesting, just overall, because of, you know, hey, it's another planet that we're getting to see. And the other pieces is that we actually know the names of the planets, as opposed to, remember, one of the major complaints Tom and I had with The Force Awakens is nowhere could you find out what the hell the planets were named until the novelization came out. Yeah, yeah, I I remember. Yeah, you remember. Beat that into you. So another piece uh, that's also interesting is, oh, so did you know the Alliance had A-wings before Y-wings? Also B-wings before Y-wings, or a single B-wing before Y-wings because that one was a prototype. That, uh, I guess New Canon has some bad parts to it. Why, why would you even say that's bad? They seem, the A-Wing and the B-Wing seems much more advanced, and it just seems like the Y-Wing. See, that's because you think that the A-Wings and the B-Wings are, are what they used to be. And it seems clear to me that they are not. Like, the old EU knowledge that we have about, oh, the A-Wings are these fantastic, you know, super, super fast interceptor ships. That's less true like yeah they're fast yeah they're maneuverable but they are absolutely glass cannons and they don't have many of them the b-wings on the other hand like the b-wings apparently wound up getting designed by a mon calamari engineer on this planet and he gives them the prototype for them and the prototype for them has has deaths has death star style uh focusing lasers so there's that <laughs> Oh, I know you're going to hate the fuck out of that one. You're not helping me like that new cannon. All right, well, that that's specifically the B-Wing. I've, I've got some issues there as well, because it's just kind of like, eh. But the other piece was, was that that was also the prototype ship. So I have a feeling that when they attempt to mass produce it, they strip it out. The big question I have is, so these Y-Wings, like, in... And, and I think this is because they all died on the first Death Star. With, I think, like, two exceptions. I think the public perception, and from what has been reinforced to us in the EU, is that they were shit ships. Make sense? I mean, yeah. I don't think that they are. I think that they're some of the top-of-the-line ships. And what's holding us back from kind of embracing and understanding that is that the Y-Wings never really shine because they don't put Luke in a Y-Wing. They put Luke in an X-Wing. I, I can see that. I don't think the Y-Wing should ever shine. And I, I, In my mind, they're still shit ships. Well, and, and that's the thing. Like, I think, you know, this this is part of the thing with me in the new canon. Like, open your mind, man, to the possibility. Oh, I've been opening my mind a lot. <laughs> oh, oh, really? <laughs> I've been very, very, compared to our friend Tom, I've been very, very kind about the new canon i just no the y-wings are bad i don't think they are i i think that the y-wings are fine fine ships and we're gonna see that in the next season of rebels because if you think about it like the y-wings like every piece that the y-wings have come into like in the clone wars when they introduced the proto y-wings 
they come in and they bomb the living shit out of a ship that is causing major fucking problems for the Republic. Nope, nope, don't care. Don't care. Why then in Rebels, shit? one of the big things that, that they've said is that, hey, if we can capture these ships, we will be able to make a major strike against the Empire. And that to me kind of says that, hey, you know, all these fighters in gr are great and all, but... With a Y-Wing, you can hit hard targets. You can fly into that fire, drop your bombs, and get out. Maybe so. Maybe so. Still a shit ship. In my mind, the Y-Wing is like the Wildcat from uh, World War II. They were the fire jet that they had, the, the fighter plane that they had, and that's what we got. And now, yes, the Y-Wing's a bomber, so uh, the proper reference would be like, you know, the SBD-3s that, that weren't as good, or the torpedo bombers. Any case. They're like the stuff they got stuck with to start the thing. And the new canon may prove me wrong. It sounds like it is, but that's in my mind how it will always be. I don't know. I think I think you need to open that open that noggin up. Get, you know, embrace the new. Not doing it for the Y-Wing. I do it for many things, but not the Y-Wing. Okay, so going back to, to toys and the like, the reason I brought that all up is one of the things that's happening in this next Rebel season is specifically that they are capturing a bunch of Y-Wings. And so one of the toys coming out is Kanan with Y-Wing Scout Bombers. You know, there's only one problem I see with that. Kanan is blind at this point. I mean, not a big problem. <laughs> he can fly a ship. It's fine. Exactly. I mean, you got a Jedi-like guy with stick who's blind. They got a lot of blind people in this galaxy. It's okay. Oh, cheer <laughs> I gotcha. All right. Um... So the other thing that has kind of come out is they have these two packs that are coming out. So one is a Death Trooper with a Rebel Commando Tau. Okay. I have no idea who the hell Rebel Commando Tau is. He is Rebel Commando Tau. How do you not know him? Would you like to give the great backstory for who Rebel Commando Tau is? I think we will wait till Force Friday for that. <laughs> All right, uh, then there's another one, which is a Scarif Stormtrooper with Moroth. With uh, Moroth, yeah, we've heard a lot about him too. <laughs> yeah, so Rebel Commando Tau and Moroth both look like they're rebels, but what that means, we simply do not know. I mean, they're, they're, uh, they're rebels. Well, what else do we need to know? Yeah, the, the only other thing to note, though, is that these are, these are a lot of the... These are rumors about what's going to be released. You know, Hasbro hasn't confirmed anything yet because they won't confirm anything until, you know, the toys are out. But, you know, we should be able to come back to this uh, next week and kind of go over it. Yep. And then, you know, they'll release things and we'll never find out anything about it, like the Constable Zuzuvu. I think there's a bunch of stuff out about him, just not in the stuff we read. Because uh, they, I know that there's at least one short story, which is basically his story that's out there. I know that's come out now, but like it came out after. No, I thought it came out before the movie. I, I was pretty I sure that so. it was one of those like half dozen books that popped up. Like I thought it was called like High Noon on Jakku or something like that. Mm, you may be right, but that was like it, it was a short story in a kids type short story thing, not an adult. You get so hung up with that. The fact is, is that we are currently arguing and on a podcast about a fantasy world that that was created in the seventies, man. Yep, but you gotta I still get, want adult you gotta stuff. get over the labels. Nope, I want adult stuff. That you, what you, the reasoning you just gave is exactly why I want adult stuff. Yes, we are on a podcast arguing about stuff that from a seventies movie that starred everything. That means the people who 
grew up on this stuff are adults. Give us adult shit. Well, then maybe they don't want you so much no more. They're um, looking for new blood. Well, new blood don't have money. <laughs> new blood's parents have money. Yep, so you need to appeal to the parents. Yes, but parents can't give their kids adult stuff. I mean, how many preteens get bought the Call of Duty games? I mean, some of those games are a little hardcore. Probably shouldn't be... Uh, or the Grand Theft Auto games. You can absolutely give adult stuff to kids. All right, I, I will say, that's video games, first and foremost. You know, you, do you really expect, like, the kids to read, like, at an adult level? In seventh grade, I was reading Tom Clancy, so yes. Okay, so in seventh grade, you would have been the perfect time group for this, which was... Star Wars Journey to the Force Awakens, High Noon on Jakku, Tales from a Galaxy Far, Far Away. Yes, but I would read adult stuff in seventh grade. You were just so caught up on that. On the idea of having to appear to be an adult. Why can't you just enjoy something? Nope, can't do it. I mean, to be fair, though, I'm not like some people um, who are caught up in the fact that it's all not in the movies and it's only comic books and such. Hi, Tom. Love you, Tom. I don't know. I, I think it's... I'll, I'll say this much. There are issues with The Force Awakens, and I, I agree with Tom that you can't have a movie rely upon greater knowledge of the universe to tell its story. You could. No, you, you, you can't. Like, that, that simply does not work. That, that's like saying, in order to, to enjoy, like, one of the Halo video games, you have to understand, like, everything that's happening in the Halo novel series that, that came out. Or that in order for me to enjoy Star like the new Star Trek movies, I have to read like the Star Trek novels that have come out, which take place in that time frame in that universe. Or I had to play Star Trek Online, which explains sort of what's going on there. And that's simply not true. Like it can't be true. Because because then, yeah, like the movie's bad. If you say so. Okay. So aside from Star Wars, give me a series that you were fine with the fact that you had to go and find outside information in order to enjoy that movie. I mean, Star Wars is the exception that, that proves the rule. Oh. So, uh, all right, here, the original trilogy. Did you have to see anything outside of those movies in order to enjoy them? Uh, and now I'm not saying knowing more about it can enhance your enjoyment, but it can't be relied upon. Because if you really think about it, most people have seen Star Wars. Most people have not dived into the deep end for, for the novels and the books. I mean, I guess it comes down to the point that the stuff that we didn't hear about in The Force Awakens that we learned after the fact doesn't really bother me. That's fine. I, and I think that that's an acceptable response where if you think that movie was complete, then you're fine with it. I think that there were a number of aspects that were absent that really needed to be there. I agree that there were a number of aspects that were absent, but I, I don't necessarily agree that they had to be there. Yeah. And, and that's, that is a difference of opinion in the way we want movies. That's okay. You can be wrong. Uh, I can be right. <laughs> nope, I can be right. Uh, so there was one other piece of news that I don't know if we talked about. Um, and that was with uh, with the new Han Solo. Ah, uh, the new Han Solo. You know, I th I think that that you mentioned that you were you were up for this Alden Eichenreich. Right? I, I think that was more Tom than me. I'm not against him, but Tom seemed to think he looked like he really looked the part. Yeah, I I mean, at least for the foes I've seen, I don't I don't see it as much. But one of the things that came out was that it sounds like he signed on for a three-movie deal. But he's not going to be in Rogue One. Exactly. And that was the new piece that came out since our last episode, 
Like, I think I went on a tear about how, oh, you know, it's probably like the Hulk, where the Hulk's going to be in a bunch of movies, even though it's not a Hulk movie. And then Kathleen Kennedy came out and just went, no, or no, I think it might have been Gareth Edwards came out and said, no, he's not in Rogue One. I was just like, what? How the hell did that happen? But he's got a three movie deal. Figure that one out. Yeah. So either they're planning to do a lot more with him, or I wonder if, if maybe it was just a, we're not really sure what we're going to do here. So we're just going to sign you to a multi-movie deal. And if it pans out, great. But we're not going to we're not going to need to renegotiate a contract midway through what we want to do with Han Solo. I could see that. I could see that making sense. Yeah, because I I, I think for me that that's that's my thing. I'm actually hoping that that's the case because I don't think I could stand three Han Solo movies. Yeah, no, I, I, one is fine. I I don't think we as fans need three. Like I could. I could deal with like one Han Solo movie, one like Han Solo Lando Calrissian buddy cop movie, and I don't know, maybe something else. Like just Han, I don't know if I could do that. Or or Han as the focus, I don't know if I could do that. And actually speaking of, interesting and curious part. So, is it, it it's in the movies that he won the Falcon off of Lando, right? Or is that just in in the extended universe? I think Han says in Empire, hey, you lost it to me fair and square. Yep, I'm pretty sure that happened. Yeah. Did you have something to say about that? I'm currently looking it up. Okay, it looks like underneath the canon section of Wikipedia, which I hope is true, uh, he did specifically lose it to him in a game of Sabacc. I could have told you. Uh, Well, the Sabacc part I didn't know was canon, but I knew that he definitely lost it to him. Yeah, well, I don't know. Yeah, it should it should be fine, but I don't know. That's that's kind of crazy. What? What? What's crazy? I don't know that that land like Lando's piece because like in the Clone War or in Rebels as of right now, Lando does not have the Falcon. Well, that'll be interesting. Yeah, so I am I am a little curious to see when Lando gets the Falcon. Well, they'll have to recon the shit out of something. I doubt it, but. And that's that's another discussion for another another day. But did you know that they reclassified what canon is? What? Yeah. So before it was like every little detail was canon. Now it's just what's necessary for the story. I, uh, I don't or, know how or I feel at least about that's that. what I believe I read and or heard. So some things will be not canon even in canon book. That's that's my understanding of it. Like in terms of like a, the the exact number of lasers on a starfighter or something like that, or the type of of lasers on a starfighter, because those are less important than the fact that the starfighter has weapons and use them. <sighs> yeah, that's that's something where I haven't seen that happen yet. But if that does happen, that's that's going to be kind of a major red flag for me. Because I, I don't know, in, in the Star Wars universe, there, I mean, granted, there's a ton of shit that just doesn't make any goddamn sense. But it, it, it's some of those real little details that kind of help me enjoy the universe. Yeah, like I want those little details and like the little military pieces to be fully fleshed. I don't want it to be able to be changed on a freaking whim. Uh, it's not really canon. We're going to change it to 10 lasers instead of five. Or like how strong shields are. Might be another one. Well, that would explain Tom's whole, uh, we can just enter planetary shields uh, by flying at hyperspeed. Yeah. <laughs> some, some of the pseudoscience gets real, real interesting, real, real fast. 
Well, I think the key is then, if that's how they're going to play it, they're going to play loose with the science. Which I think is okay, because it's not science fiction. It is a it is a space opera. But then it's, then it's really like, because it does get classified as science fiction a lot. And then it really it, it is fantasy. It is very much space fantasy. Yep. Because yeah, it, it is. It is a space fantasy about these things. Like you know, I was listening to an interview with uh, the individual who wrote. Um, what was he wrote? He wrote Kenobi, and he wrote uh, A New Dawn. And one of the things I was talking about is that he actually also writes for Star Trek, and he's done like a ton in the comic book world. Like he did the Knights of the Old Republic run that I mentioned on a show a while back about some of our favorite smugglers and the like, or our favorite scum characters, because I picked Griff Hierogriff, who the author apparently described as he's he's just not as cool as Lando, but he wants so hard to be. <laughs> Um, even though like he and Lando don't exist in the same timeline, like that's kind of like the idea behind Griff, which is fantastic in my book. He wants to be the Lando of his time. Yes, very much so. Even though he's not, he, in my opinion, he's more helpful than Lando though. But what I really liked was the, was that notion that, you know, when you're, when you're dealing with Star Trek, it's really about exploration. It's about you know, science in some ways, you know, science can be a major plot point. In Star Wars, the science and the exploration it can happen, but it's not the plot point. The plot point is like fantasy style conflict. Which, which I'm okay with, but I still want some sort of semblance of canon to the science. I, I do too. And that's why like, I, I hinge a lot of that with, I haven't seen it yet. I'm gonna uh, because I've heard this. I'm gonna be on the lookout for it, but I haven't seen anything that's that's been an issue for me. Have you seen anything? Nope. Yeah, so I think it's gonna Thankfully be fine. Not so far, so good. Exactly. Yeah. So far, I guess so they're good. just they're trying to leave themselves an out. Yeah, and I think that that's fine. You know, to to specifically set the expectation of you know we might not do things the exact same way we used to. I think that's fine. You know, so long as it's good. It'll be fine. And and I've got to say, like, haven't been a big fan of all the novels that I've read, but I've liked a lot of them. And I've liked a lot about a lot of different ones. I, I think it'll be fine. I think they're just trying to leave themselves an out in case, like, let's be honest, our fandom is very particular about how things are. Like, we would be like, people like us, the three of us on this podcast would be like, they said an X-Wing had four lasers and two proton torpedo launchers, and this book, all of a sudden, has six lasers and three concussion missile launchers. This is giving them the mulligan. Well, that and for me, like, this is one thing that I was kind of up in the air about. Like, is there even a difference now between concussion missiles and proton torpedoes? Who knows? Who knows? All right. Well, I think that's going to do it for me. Was there anything you want to talk about, James? Yes. I want to talk about the uh, the utter devastating political climate in the United States. And, uh, no, and no, with I'm that, gonna... I'm shutting this mother down. <laughs> good night, sir. Good I night. said good day. Uh, I'm just thinking of that. The, the, all I can see is that meme of the squirrel or the possum or whatever it is. Uh, I don't know if you ever saw it. Where he's no, holding... I, I have. Good day. I said good day. Yep. All right. So have a good one, James. You too. And have a good night to all of you. I hope you enjoyed our ramblings and our argument. <laughs> good night, podcast world. Good night.